You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, the Go Wild app has added some really cool and exciting functionality to their app. And the first one I want to talk about is the Near Me function. And basically what this does, it allows you to engage and connect with people in your area. You guys can talk about gear. You guys can talk about hunting areas. You guys can talk about what's going on in the woods. And it just allows the users to be more of a community and connect easier. The second part is the Gearbox. And what the Gearbox is, it is a an opportunity for the users to not only see reviews on products and see what the go wild community is using in the field what products they're using but it also allows you guys to purchase up to 150,000 products there's you, there's a shopping function on it so Check out the Go Wild app. If you haven't downloaded it to your phone yet, you need to, and you can do that at any app store that is currently available. Go Wild. It's an awesome app. Check them out. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, guys. Land and Lakes Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, here. Um, coming to you with, uh, as we, it's middle of August, it's getting ready. We're, we're a month out from Missouri archery season. And, uh, man, it's just insane how quickly the summer has gone, how quickly 2020 is moving. And uh, i got to be honest with you guys. I'm, I'm excited for the fall. I'm excited for the slow down of life, slow down of business, and I guess I should make the announcement now since I didn't do it on the other podcast, but uh, this past week my wife and I were blessed with another child, a little girl, and uh, so life has been pretty busy for uh, me and her, um, so now hashtag dad life for me, um, or girl dad, um, because uh, two little girls, and so 
going into fall, uh, it's going to be definitely a, a different a different fall than than normal. Um, but it is going to be exciting. We've it's been uh, business has been good for us in 2020. We've been hammering away, and here we are ready to get into fall so we can kind of slow down and and uh, enjoy some time with family and hunting. So, um, but as we do that, um, keep in mind to. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do over on iTunes. Go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe there. A lot of videos. And, guys, we're going to be really hunting hard this fall and putting those videos on there. Um, And so we've got several cameras lined up, several guys filming. So we're going to be hitting it pretty hard. Uh, If you guys are filming, uh, filming your hunts and doing habitat work, uh, tag us in some of your posts or shoot, shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv. We'd love to see your video work, um, your YouTube channel and see what you got going on. And, uh, as we continue to grow, who knows what that could bring. Um, other thing, it is kind of the, the time of the year where we're starting to focus on hunting. So you're going to see our content kind of shift out of so much education on, on habitat and land management to, hunting strategy, product reviews, things like that, stuff that kind of gives Matt and I a break of just every week saying, what are we going to educate on? What are we going to teach? We've Obviously, we do two podcasts, so here we are um, getting ready to go into fall, and we're just going to sit back. We plan on having a lot more guests on this fall, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, if you've got any recommendations or you want to hear some us interview somebody, somebody that you think matches what we say, and shoot, somebody that doesn't even match what we say, but somebody you think would be interesting to have on our podcast, uh, shoot us a Facebook message or an Instagram message and and uh, let us know what you're thinking. All right. This is going to be a fun podcast. Um, it's one we've been thinking on for a little while. It's one that kind of constantly gets brought up, but I'll go ahead and introduce, even though I don't need to introduce, but Chad, my brother, is coming back on. Nicholas C. Keith. <laughs> C yes. period. C. Only C. That's right. Not Chad. No Chad. Nicholas C. Inside joke. Nicholas C. is back on. And uh, we're going to talk about something. It fits well because this is more Chad and I's story than Matt and I's story because we're talking um, long-term management. Chad and I have been managing the family farm for a long time on doing habitat work and trying to improve it. And uh, I... Definitely some of the first people in our area to be doing stuff. Um, sometimes it feels like we're still the only people in the area doing stuff. But uh, um, occasionally we're it, we run into people. And- yeah, we're calling this podcast Hindsight 2020. Everybody knows what that means. You know, it's the your vision is always clearer looking back at what already occurred than trying to predict the future. Um, and. I think we all should try to do this occasionally. Try to look back and say, okay, what has worked in the past? What didn't work in the past? What can I do to ensure that my work in the future is more beneficial than the stuff I was doing in the past? Chad, you want to introduce? What What do you got on it? Well... <clears throat> I guess our first, you've got the notes, remind me, the first topic that we talked about. Oh, I was, I, you don't even have to jump in. I just wanted to say, um, what are you thinking on when you, when you 
when you hear hindsight 2020 and it comes to land management? Well, right. Well, my first thoughts when you said the 2020, I've been hearing people talk about 2020 becoming a curse word because of the year 2020. Yeah. And yeah. how it's gone. But I saw a meme I mean, the other day that said 2020, maybe it's the year that God's going to remind us that we need 2020 vision on him, not on the yeah. not on the things of the world. For sure. But now, I mean, a lot of times, well, and, and what, what we're going to cover kind of touches it, but a lot of the hindsight 2020 for us is looking back on what we wish we would have done differently. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's and habitat stuff. A lot of the looking back is, is learning what we should have done a little differently or what we should have done in the first place. Yep. And sometimes it's, it's positives and what we did. Right. I mean, we've done some things, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Not. We've, we've done some things right, but we sure have done a lot of things wrong. And early on, there was a lot more wrong than right. And now there's wrongs, almost like forced wrongs, like where we're like, I know there's a pretty good chance this will fail, but I'm going to try it anyway because maybe there's a silver lining in here that we can all learn from. Yeah. And that's what, like, I mean, we've done multiple experiments in the last few years where we pretty well said, this probably isn't going to work, but I want to see what happens. Let's try this and yeah. just see what happens. I mean, what do we have to lose? That's that's to me the big the biggest benefit in habitat work and stuff like this is there generally is an easy fix for most most mistakes that you make. Yes, there's a few there out there that are going to be tif- difficult if you make that mistake. Yeah, but there's a few that can be very costly. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, though, there are some glaring things that we did. It was like, oh, that was stupid. But overall, for a couple of kids that had no education on it, didn't really have any body leaning, pouring into us, trying to guide us, um, I mean, our our dad is not into it, really, um, like the timber management for wildlife and things like that. Um, and so we were pretty much just trial and error, read outdoor I mean, magazines. Do you, do you um, remember when I, when I had the white oak seedlings that somebody had, like, extra from work one time? I had some white oak seedlings, and they were like, hey, if you plant these. And so I took them, was going to plant them, and I went to go plant them, and and Dad said, your grandpa would be very unhappy to know that you're planting those white oaks. It's <laughs> like, why? He said, because his allergies, they just killed his allergies. He couldn't stand white oaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and didn't Dad say he used to cut white oaks down for firewood for that very reason? Oh, to, yeah. To create yeah. firewood and to also eliminate them on the farm so he didn't have to deal with them. Oh, man. Yeah. Old timers. Old timers and their theories. Um, now we have science. <laughs> now yeah. we have researchers. Um, now we have medicine for that. Um, but overall, uh, I think one of the biggest glaring things that we always talk about that we wish we had done when we were younger 
um, looking in hindsight 2020 is not documenting our work. And, and so we're telling you guys all this so you can hopefully learn from our mistakes and ensure that you're not looking back 20 years from now going, ah, I heard those guys say that and I forgot to do it or I never did it. I wish I had. I'm trying because, to prevent that for you right now. I mean, honestly, this is something we still deal, deal with. Oh, Still. Still time is because t- time is so limited for us, especially me right now with with uh, kiddos, and I live an hour from the farm. So when I get there, it's like I don't want to take pictures. Just give me a chainsaw so I can cut some well, trees. Not just the documentation, but documentation that lasts. Yeah, that's that's a big one because some of this stuff. I mean, I can remember a couple of years ago going around with a D tape and taking measurements and writing down the plants in an area. I don't have any clue where that's at now. Yeah, no clue. And yeah. it's like, I wish I started an Excel spreadsheet or something that I kept on a flash drive to know because we can walk into some of these areas that we cut some of the very first places I cut on the farm Yeah, that were very small, like pole timber, very overstocked, that you can go in there now and some of them are close to marketable timber. But as and far it wasn't as that long growth, ago. No, like the the growth, they, they blew up in size, but we have no way to document it. And it's, yeah. it's sickening to walk in there and think, boy, the numbers we could have on this stuff, if we would have just taken the time to write this stuff down mm-hmm. and not just the, the timber size. But I mean, I walked into some places today that I look at them like, well, I wish we'd have taken pictures before we cut anything and before we did any burning on this, because it was nothing but trees and leaves underneath. And now there is, it's a green mat of stuff growing from waist high to even over my head, just growth all through it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what comes to, uh, so I know what area you're talking about. Um, uh, when it comes to the, to the trees, is there any other areas that really come to mind that's like, oh, I wish we would have documented that? Um, I think for I mean, me, go ahead. Go. Uh, the, there's so many areas on the farm for me. I mean, there's uh, the one that, I mean, Greg's open fence line is, I'm sure, what you were thinking of. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where the overstock timber, because I can remember squirrel hunting that place and it being tiny little trees, dog hair thick. And now you go in there and there are some black oaks that, are probably probably a 16, 18 DBH tree. Yeah. Huh. And, I mean, we've covered a lot of the farm by now from, because we've, I, I don't even know what year we started. That's the worst part. We don't know what year we started cutting. Yeah. But there's other areas of the farm that it's, you go in there and it's a drastic difference from when we first ran a, t- ran a chainsaw in there, and we have no documentation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I think of a, I think of an area um, on the farm that was chocked full of cedars and old, like smooth broom or not smooth broom, uh, broom sedge. Um, that even in the last few years, we've went in and cut the cedars out. Um, and I think it was kind of one of those where it's like, man, those cedars are so big. Maybe we could get some money out of them. And we waited and waited. Finally, we were just like, 
the heck with it. Let's cut them anyway. So we cut them, and now it's like, man, looking back, you know, you were in there this year walking through in the spring, and there was purple milkweed blooming. It's just like, oh, man, that I guarantee – I don't ever remember knowing that that was there. Um, and, and all this is occurring – without any kind of documentation. It's all going to be hearsay. It's all going to be stories that we tell, and that's the only kind of proof we have. Um, and so, you know, documenting it's, our I mean, work it's is... One you, could, you could take somebody in there right now and say, yeah, this was this. And, I mean, they could believe you or not. They could be like, oh, these guys just tell me that. Yeah. This is probably not that different. They just think yeah. it does. For sure. That's just one of the issues. Um with not documenting your work. So if you're listening to this, start it. This this 2021, January 2021, start documenting your work. If you're out there, uh, you're getting ready to put in a bedding thicket, take some photos and then send them and print them off at Walmart and put them in a, put them in a photo album. Uh, and then when you get done cutting it, take pictures of it. Um, so take before and afters and then... Go back next year and take more photos and just start documenting that story of the transformation and the restoration that's current on your place. I think another big one, Chad, kind of goes with this one of not documenting but having no plan. I don't know how many yes. times we uh, we went into the farm and it was kind of like, well, we're going to the farm on Saturday. Get to the farm on Saturday morning and be like, so what are we doing? Well... We could go do this or we could go do that when uh, we should have been like, okay, what is, um, okay, it's spring green up. We can't go and we don't want to go cut a bunch of trees. Um, or if, if we do want to cut trees, let's just go cut cedars. Um, or, hey, it's it's April. Maybe we should go spray out some, uh, some cool season grass that's in some of our old fields. Um, or, hey, it's January. Deer season's over. Let's go cut some trees. Um, but it was more like, oh, what are we going to do? Let's go do that. Yeah, you know, that's a, well, it kind of almost like chasing butterflies around, we, chasing our own I tail. Mean, it was pretty much whatever struck our struck our mind. That yeah. Day. Or like if we walked through, say if we hunted somewhere, if we hunted a chunk late in the fall, it was like that was fresh on our mind. Of like, man, I need to go cut that. I need to go mm-hmm. cut in there. And it was just randomly going around and. And it, some of it, I mean, to a point, some of that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. I, I hate to go in and completely cut one whole area all at once. Oh, one yeah. One large area on the farm and have that all at that same stage. Well, that's why we say 80 grit management. You don't want to 220 yeah. grit a 30-acre chunk of woods when you really need to be cutting all over your farm. But in the same sense... I would also really like to have planned ahead and cut, say, for example, going in and cutting bedding thickets. Yeah. Then like, okay, this area is probably going to be a great bedding area with a tree stand in that place. Let's go cut that here and not just sure. randomly, oh, this would be a good spot. Let's cut it. Yep. But in the same sense... As that age, when we started cutting, I also look back and I'm glad that I was doing that. Yeah. And not just, I mean, hindsight 2020, we could have been sitting at the house playing video games and never learned what we've learned. <laughs> yeah, we I didn't. Mean, 
You remember? I mean, honestly, it was one of those. We were pretty lucky that we had a dad that let us go and experiment on those places. Yeah. Because in the process, we've learned a lot of what we learned. For sure, yeah. that was probably Doing one of the that. best the best ways he ever taught us was just let us go teach let us go teach ourselves. Yep. And didn't try to pull the reins back and say no, you can't do that. It's too dangerous or whatever. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, you know when you say that about video games, that's funny because we didn't have we had a Sega that was at our grandma a grandma's house, and then we got a we got a PlayStation when when Playstations weren't really even that cool to us anymore. I remember when we got the PlayStation, it was kind of like, oh, that's sweet. But we were of age where it's like we're already kind of busy with other stuff. So it was one of those one of those things where we played it, but nothing like a lot of our friends did. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, um, next one, not looking for invasives, not trying to ID invasives uh, when we were, you know, in our, I guess I can say in our 20s, even though that hurts me now um, to say that, but we weren't trying to identify invasives when we were in our 20s. And I think now for people, for for younger people that are in high school that are thinking about this, man, what a what an opportunity that they have with social media at their fingertips, with, with YouTube at their fingertips. They can go get all the good, the bad, and the actual good information at their fingertips. Um, yeah, I, you can just uh, when we were doing it, it was magazines, and that was about it. Yeah. Magazines and, I mean, outdoor television didn't even have it was just hunt, so there was not really any kind of advice. So magazines was where you got your information, and, uh, and it wasn't always true. E- even at this point in this day and age, there's a very limited amount of people who actually know a wide variety of noxious weeds oh yeah i mean people know johnson grass like yeah. around here people know johnson grass they start to know cerise a little bit they know thistles yep but <laughs> they know thistles and some of the thistles people are fighting are native ones yeah they don't know they don't know teasel they don't know uh spotted nap weed they don't know uh Oh, I was just trying to think of some other ones that people are finding that well, that Barberry, for instance, or Bradford pears. People don't, yeah, don't people aren't don't, aware of those. They still have them in their yards. Yeah, them in their and yards. then uh, what's another one? Um, that was a tree of heaven. A lot of people don't know tree of heaven. Um, and so you know, looking back, and that's where I think IDing invasives now is so crucial because of the fact that. Um, they just, napweed, for example, we have a place on the lease that's got napweed. I wish we'd have known about, or I wish we'd have educated ourselves on it years ago because we could have hopefully knocked it out when it was just a small seed source. Now our fight is going to be, yeah, now it's more of an aerial application rather than a spot treatment. And that's, I mean, the other, the other thing kind of mentioned it earlier to you, pre- before we started of the other side of identifying your noxious weeds is also the fact that a lot of times when you're doing the timber work and you're opening it up, especially if you've got loggers coming in, you definitely want to get those under control before you ever do that. Because say stilt grass, Ugh. Cerisa, all of those, that equipment drags that seed in. 
Yep. And once you've opened up the canopy, they explode. And it's yeah. like you could save yourself so much money and chemicals, so much work, time and work. I mean, all of that by getting those under control before you ever open the canopy. I mean, we're dealing with it now with multiple rows. Oh, yeah. Where we've opened it up and and birds have spread it all through because we've opened up the canopy and made made these areas more more desirable for the all of our native birds and stuff that fly through. Well, in turn, we've got a lot of multiple rows and they've spread spread seed all through it. Yeah, and it's time and so burning making sure there's a bar, uh, burning uh, rotation is one way, and then also just overall just knocking it out. And that's one thing, the document, you can circle back and do the documentation of taking taking aerial images of your farm, printing them out, and each map, uh, each aerial image having a highlighter for uh, where you've ID'd or located invasives on your farm so you put the highlighter marks where you've seen them and then in the fall go in and start or whenever it's time to kill them you go in and you spray them or get rid of them however you can um, that's going to kill them and then you go and mark them off on your on your map so you can kind of help yourself stay on track of where you need to be um, and what what the future holds as far as invasive species control. And I think that's one, Chad, where kind of ties in with the next one. Um, this is kind of a big one for me. Um, you know, looking back, hindsight 2020, I wish I would have listened to the wise men that were in my life when I, when I was around them more. I wish I would have been a more more of a sponge for these guys than maybe believing I already had it figured out or kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, these two guys are the most influential guys for, for my management and how I am now than any other person uh, that I've ever been around. And they've never had any kind of recognition, most likely, from, from this. Um, one of them is an employee, an, uh, he was a, form, a former employee of the state of Missouri Conservation Department. Um, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to meet him at the very tail end, his final year of working there. He was retired from the Forest Service and then retired from the Department of Conservation um, named Jerry Adam. And he was just a guy that had a way of putting things, um, and anybody who's ever met him know that that's a funny way to say it for him, um, but he had a funny way of putting things, and I'll never forget when I worked for that guy, he just crushed me in my uh, ideology about only really wanting to manage for deer. Um, I remember... Well, not, I go, can remember at the time when you were working for him, you talking at the farm, like that was the start of you IDing plants. Yes. And I can remember going around the farm and, and you talking about, yeah, Jerry was quizzing me on plants again. <laughs> Jerry was quizzing me on plants. Yeah. And and it's one of those that you take it for granted at that time, but it, you also realize how much, how much that means in, in actual overall property management, how, how integral that is to know your plant species. Absolutely. And, and I remember when I worked for him, I was, I was still in college and then, and graduated in the process of working there. And he just, I mean, that that guy would be like, 
all right, we're going to learn plants. And we would drive down the road. And he goes, hey, what's that purple one right there in the, in the ditch? And, and it was just like, don't know it. And he'd be like, come on, I just told you that one yesterday. And it was a fun game for us, um, him being at the very – and it, he was exactly what a older, um, polished uh, – I'm not sure anyone's ever used the word polished for Jerry. <laughs> Maybe he'll listen to this, but um, – it's funny because he he's the exactly what the the people who are in that tail end of their career should be, where they're trying to empower the younger generation and, and breathe life into them to where they can continue carrying it. And Jerry was that guy for me. Um, and so he was quizzing me on plants and trees and all this stuff. Um, but I'll never forget when we had conversations about food plots. Um, I, I went to him and said, so it was him and I, we were managing, I don't know, four to 5,000 acres. I forget how big conservation area is, but it's a big one. And we were planting food plots. He said, why don't we just plant all soybeans? And he goes, well, what are the other, why are we planting all soybeans? We're not always just managing for deer. And I said, well, that's all we really want to care about, right? And he, and he looked at me like I just cursed his mom out. And he said, it's not always about deer. And I'll never forget that because he wanted to plant some mixes looking back were a very basic basic blend like uh or basic blend of heritage it only had like six species but i remember it had millet uh german millet was one of the big ones i remember it had a lot of german millet in it but it had german millet and cow peas and sunflowers um buckwheat and i think sedan grass it was just like a pretty basic one uh, and that's what he wanted to plant. And I was just like, man, the deer aren't eating this thing. He goes, there's plenty for the deer to eat in those things. If a deer's too picky to eat this food plot, he's too picky to be on this farm. And I and I was just like, okay, whatever. I, I don't believe you. I think you're crazy. And I went through that stage of believing that soybeans were the only thing to plant for deer. And that was the only thing that would attract deer. And now I look back and I'm like, that guy... That guy was kind of ahead of his time. Like he was already managing a property for all wildlife in a very holistic, uh, holistic mindset. Because being from the U.S. Forest Service, he used to gripe that they had taken the cows off of the glades and taken the the grazing off of these native grasslands for the Ozarks. And uh, and and then he was a huge <laughs> prescribed fire advocate. And he was also this is the next one. He was huge on invasive species control. I remember he put me in a basically a hazmat suit on the back of a truck spraying pasture guard and killing Cerisa lespedeza. And he, I mean he he just talk about that all the time. We got to get this we got to get these invasives under control. So a big part of how I managed was really poured in by this guy. Um and and I wish I'd have listened because or I wish I'd have listened more because, you know, that 2011 when I was working for him and then, you know, the, the teens, the 20 teens, I got really deep into the whitetail game. And, uh, gosh, now I circle back. And I'm like, dang it, Jerry was right. And I never told him <laughs> that. Um, I should have been I should have been listening. So Jerry Adam is a is a big part of looking back hindsight 2020 he was correct in a lot of his in a lot of his uh, teachings to me another big one was steve freeman a uh, cattle farmer that was a very kind of rotational grazing or still is a big in a rotational grazing and you know 
he would say things like, ah, you know, even though I'm managing non-native pastures, there's still a lot of quail. And I used to think he was crazy. And then, you know, working on his farms, man, he had a lot of quail. And uh, he was just a very wise guy ahead of his time on the rotational grazing and electric fencing. I remember he told me that barbed wire is, is cattle management of the Stone Age. And now here I am. I'm like, how do we get electric on this place? So Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's one I've had discussions with some of our other buddies on some of this stuff. And it's one that, you know, listen to you talk about those two guys. It's one of those that we're not in our management. We're not going and doing exactly what Steve's doing mm-hmm. for exactly what one. But in these guys that we've learned from, if you can impart a bit of theirs and a bit of their wisdom and a bit of somebody else's, it's like a bit of like we're talking about Gabe Brown. Yep. What he's doing, we can't replicate, but if we can learn a little bit of something from him, learn a little bit and put it all into what we are trying to do, you're going to end up with a whole lot better in, in result. Absolutely. Yep. And not just trying to mold after one person and one, because what works for one guy may not necessarily work for your farm. Um, especially like you got to look at regions too. If somebody's in the North or somebody's in the South preaching and advocating for one thing, you have to take that and consider it. How does that apply for your region? Because, that's why we don't oh. preach the same stuff in the north that we do in the south because it's totally different regions. You can't manage it the same way. Yeah, and sometimes you don't know what's going on behind the scenes either. No. I mean, I may tell you one thing. You don't know what they've been doing for two weeks before that. So <laughs> it's one of those you always <laughs> you always have to take everything with a grain of salt and also take bits and pieces of what you can use. <laughs> well, I'm going to say it's... something here, and this sounds really stupid to say it on a podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hopefully it gives me some credibility. But the old phrase, believe half of what you see and nothing that you hear, rings true <laughs> with a lot of things, you know? <laughs> because, yeah. and, th- and that's kind of how we have gone into this is, you know, I pulled the curtain back on a few things in in outdoor industry, and and that can kind of be true. Believe half of what you see and and nothing of what you hear, because it's not always exactly what it may be told to you as. And so, we're very, I would like to say, even of our own management, very critical of is this really what is happening? Is this really what we're seeing? Is this really matching up with what we? Th- with our hypothesis. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it's helped us because I don't want to say that just because it worked this year, it's the new, we got to do it this way every year. It's like, ah, we can tweak it a little bit. And, uh, and so, you know, listening to the wise, uh, for me, those two guys, I should say this. Those two guys I met and worked for in college. And they probably taught me more about what I do now than four years in college. It was the best real-world experience I have. And I worked for Steve for two summers and a couple couple falls. And I worked for, for Jerry for one summer. And what they told me... I was at that stage where, eh, that doesn't really match up with what I think is correct. And I spent the next eight years going, 
nope, 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 nope. And then at the very tail end of that being like, wow, those guys were right. And those eight years uh, from 20, basically 20, 2017 to 2012 was, yeah, I spent that time realizing that Jerry was right. And so, <laughs> yeah, trying to get him to plant soybeans. I thought he was going to fire me on the spot. Um, and so, yeah, very, you know, listening to the wise, uh, listening to the old timers and um, listening to the people that have been there, done that, and hopefully um, can help you avoid the mistakes that they made. It's always better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than your own, right? Next that, big I one. Mean, that's, that's the point of this. I mean, honestly, that's a big point of this podcast, of a lot of the podcasts is to hopefully teach other people to not make some of the same mistakes we've made in the past. Oh, yes, for sure. Yes. Um, The next big one is one of the worst things that we've ever done. It's a blaring one, plowing. Uh, Chisel plow, we got chisel plow, we got two bottom plow, and we use them way too much. We used a disc uh, way too much, and you know there was that, 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 there that, was a time that if you if somebody would have came to the farm and gave us something that we could have used on that on that old Massey to turn over six inches of soil, we'd have been like, sign us up. What's it going to cost if we want to do it? <laughs> yeah. What's it going to cost? Because I can assure you, we don't have the money to buy it. Yeah, is it free? Because <laughs> if it's free, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah. if we can get if we can get loose bait, we can disc around and put seeds in. That's oh. all we want. We gotta have flour. We want we want to put our seeds in flour. Oh man, you ain't kidding with that. I gotta remember when we plowed up, and it was like, all right, it's it's dry. It's still too. It's got too much moisture. Keep plowing. Um, and then yeah. it would be like, oh, it's powder. This is perfect. We're gonna have the best seed to soil contact here. Well, that would be true if it was still soil but right now it's just dust um, well, and then we i don't know if we talked about then we went to where we drug it after we disc it and powder to a powder put the seed down and then we we figured out well if we drug it then it packed the soil in a little more and it held moisture better yeah you remember that oh yeah that wisdom we gained we thought we gained <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, so the plowing was bad. And then you take that right into monocultures of Ugh. when we read, you read in a magazine, I'll never forget, it was like, why don't we just mix it all together? And you're like, no, they actually say that mixing them, they compete with each other, and they're not, they're I, not, they're not as, they don't do as well. I still see people saying that. I yeah. mean, that's the sad thing. In, in You look at how many years since that, there are still people saying, oh, no, you can't put anything with brassicas because they compete for nitrogen. Yep. It's just, ah! Yeah. Uh, hindsight 2020, we're better than this. We know better than this. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It was like we, we made this huge mistake on the plowing and disking and all that stuff. And then what did we do? We turned right around and followed it right up with another huge mistake in monocultures. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. was like, oh, if we couldn't have made any worse of a mistake, let's just pile on top of that and let's go ahead and do monocultures too while we're at it. Let's see how bad we can make our soil. Yep. Yowzer. Scary stuff. And man. now, now well, the... we would love we would love to be able to do diverse mixes. We're still yeah. trying to clean up our messes on yeah, some of these. We're still trying to fix what happened. 
Yeah, and the cover of this photo, hopefully if I can find it, is a is an aerial image from the early 2000s, I believe. Of uh, It looks, everything's green, but it looks like there's snow on the ground in our food plots. And that is exposed, turned up dirt. Not even soil. There's no life there. It's just... It's just sun-baked dust. So, nope. oh, it's depressing. All right. One of the other big ones is food plot layout. Oh, man. I know everybody's dealt with this. You lay out the farm the wrong way. You lay out the food plots the wrong way. You put, you hire a dozer guy, and you put it on a ridge top, and you're like, oh, that's going to be great. But then your road system, whether it's pre-existing or you create the road system also, uh, while he's there, it goes right in through the food plot onto the next area. So every time you drive in the road, you got to drive through the middle of the food plot. And man, well, a lot of times it's a it's a product of the lay of the land uh-huh. where you have a ridge, like a long ridge on your property. And it's like, well, I can have a couple food plots on this ridge. Yeah. So you go down, you you doze it all the way out to both sides of the ridge. The road goes right through the middle and goes on through the woods to the next food plot. Yep. Well, if you hunt the back food plot, what's going to happen when you drive out after dark? You're going to run all the deer out. Yep. It's a, uh, I would rather have a small food plot or a smaller food plot that doesn't have the road going through the middle of it. No doubt. And, and we've, <sighs> we've tried to lay some out like that now. Yes. Where it's. Any new food, any of our new food plots, that's how we've laid them out to where there's a little extended road that goes out to the food plot. Yep. And man, I like the way the Prairie Hollow properties come together because of that. No doubt. Yeah. Um, so, the road system, another big one. Man, how many times do you see roads? You hire a dozer operator, you hire somebody with a big piece of equipment, you lay out the road system for them. And then you look back and you say, mm, I wish I'd have put it over there. Uh, or I wish I'd have gone up the side hill a little bit differently because right now I fight erosion like crazy. Um, just so much. Uh, so or even ma- where the roads go through the center of the property and branch out to everything rather yeah. than you could have had it along the edges. Yep. Just so much. Um so many problems with not having a plan, not um, not laying it out correctly the first time. Um, did I say bedding areas in the wrong place? No, I don't. I, we did food plots in the wrong place, roads in the road place, or wrong place, and then the next one's bedding areas in the wrong place. Well, a lot of these fall into not having a plan, but they're examples of yeah. what happens when you don't have a plan. For sure. Um, so... You know, if you're if you've got a food plot in place, a road system in place, and you're like, you know what, I've been hearing about these bedding thickets on the Land Lakes podcast. Let me go out there and cut some in, and you do it in the wrong place. Oh, that's gonna sting because if you do it in the wrong place and it causes the deer to cut across the road that you use to access it, or whatever the case may be, you have to deal with that for a for a while. It could be years and years and years, and so. Laying it out, really critically thinking through it, um, can help you avoid that costly mistake of putting a bedding area in the wrong place. Oh, and it could be, I mean, say, especially like putting in new food plots. 
you put in a new food plot, you cut in a betting picket, and then you go in there and you realize, oh, the way that they're naturally going to come into this thing, I put that betting picket where they're going to be downwind to where I need to be hunting. Yes. Yes. It's like, oh, I just really, really screwed up. Yes. And that's going to sting for a few years at least. It's almost to the point where it's like, I can't even hunt the food plot because the deer are bedded downwind of it. And if I go up to hunt the food plot because I only have one way in, I blow out the bedding area. And so it's just like, oh, no. So um, really think about those. That's a big part of our consulting business is helping people lay out those bedding areas. Or during the rut, when the bucks are cruising from bedding thicket to bedding thicket, it brings them downwind of your stands. Yes. Yeah. That may be one that you don't think about until the rut and you're sitting there and it's like, why are all these deer blowing? Oh, well, it's all the bucks that are cruising between these bedding thickets that I've cut in. And I didn't think about the fact that I was going to be hunting this spot. Yeah. And for every one of them you hear blowing, there's two others that didn't do it. Um, Yeah. All right. Next one, managing timber. For us, prioritizing our farm. You know, our farm is mostly timber um, outside of the pastures, the recreational acres. So if it's not pasture or a hay field, it's probably timber. And we, it took us years. We were planting food plots for years before we ever got in to manage the timber. And now, looking back, I wish we had managed the timber before we ever planted a food plot. Because um, I can tell you for certain we'd have, we would have timber ready for a logging. Oh, yeah, across the entire farm, not just in pockets. And I think managing timber is a big one for people. Uh, Hindsight 2020, especially guys in timber country, realize probably that managing timber equates to healthier deer and probably bigger bucks. And uh, if you're getting on top of it and you're thinning it and you're getting some, if you've done some logging, you've got some sunlight down, you probably realize that that's one of the best things you could have ever done on your farm. This also ties in with another hindsight 2020 of not consulting a forester before you do timber management. Yeah. If you, we're lucky that like we, especially me, I have a background in timber. Yeah. Like actually have a a reasonable idea what's going on to where I can go in the woods and, and do something and not completely screw it up. Yeah. But it can very easily be done by somebody that does not know what they are doing with a saw in the timber. Oh, yeah. And that's a mistake that can be hard to fix. Going into the timber with a chainsaw can be a a very costly mistake and something that's very hard to fix. Because you can't put a 30 or 40 year old tree back on the stump. No, 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 no. And if you go in and you hinge cut a uh, a 16-inch walnut, it's not going to be able to be saved, Um, especially if it splinters all the way up. And I've seen it. That's why I say it. It's like even if you're hinge cutting, I don't understand it, but if you're hinge cutting white oaks that are 16 inches, there's not enough poor habitat in the world for me to try to 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 just go ahead and hinge cut 16 18 20 inch oaks just for the sake of a hinge cut um or even even for that matter people going into a a timber stand and and cutting they know what a white oak is and they know that they produce acorns so i'm going to cut everything but the white oaks yeah 
and you end up going in and you're cutting big red oaks and stuff that are have some value to them for a scraggly white oak that's not ever going to amount to anything because it's a white oak. Yep. It's like you have to, if you don't know what you're doing, you have to consult a forester. Have Absolutely. to. Yeah. Um <laughs> good friend of mine, Tyler Ross, sent me a meme this week. What gives people feelings of power and it's a bar graph and it shows money and then just a little bit more than money is status and then three times that is hinge cutting (laughs) it's like that's what gives people the feeling of power is hinge cutting um okay another big popular one that's hacking is hacking squirt um that's hindsight 2020 and i'm gonna lay out a picture for you let's just say you've got a 30 acre wood lot and you're like, I want to TSI this. I want to, I want to TSI it. I'm going to timber stand improvement this whole 30 acre unit. How can I do it the quickest and least amount of work? Well, hack and squirt. That's going to be the fastest. So you grab a crew, you get some buddies, you all got hatchets, you all have um, a bottle of herbicide, and you start hacking it up. You start hacking a whole bunch of trees, and you go in and. Even the big trees that you, let's just say you're thinning the oaks, and there's there's several oaks that are poor quality that you don't want. You want them dead. And so you hack and squirt them, and they're 16-inch uh, DBH. Um, they're stacked in pretty good, but you're just trying to improve it, timber stand improvement. So you're basically doing crop tree release um, and removing, removing or releasing your crop trees and just thinning out the forest. And you only use hack and squirt. You may look back and say, oh, this is pretty awesome. We did all that We did all that in just a couple of weekends. I've opened up the canopy. I've got stuff growing. Yeah, I can see trees dying. Yeah, a lot of them may take I'm, a couple of years to see them dying but, um, or I'm see now, them completely dead. Now I'm ready for a prescribed burn. Now I'm ready to burn. But I, I got sunlight what, I to the forest floor. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing, so... I could do this other, but I'm going to hire somebody to come in and burn. Oh, either way, either way, if you hire <laughs> somebody way, or you're doing it yourself, you might as it's like it's like honestly. The only difference, the only difference is doing it yourself. You don't realize the problems that you're fixing to face. Oh, you hire somebody and they're going to come in and go because I know exactly what I would say if I came to somebody's place and they asked me, "Hey, can you burn this?" Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I'm not burning that. Not enough money in the world. Yeah, no, not enough insurance. Gonna me, I'm going to be here till the next morning at daylight, probably if if the humidities are low enough, because I'm going to be chasing spots well all day. That long. And, and you're also going to be there until the the next big rainfall because you're not going to want to leave it. Um, yeah. And the, and the reason we say this is because anytime you leave a tree dead standing, there's a chance if you run fire through it that it can that that fire can or that tree can catch on fire and it'll burn all the way up to the top um and so you could have a 40 foot tree that's burning at the top so now you have a 40 foot tree throwing embers a long way through the air with any kind of wind and so if you were to go up to your friendly ford dealership or Toyota dealership and you bought a brand spanking new truck that has six miles on it, you would be a proud guy 
but you wouldn't go out and run it through a car wash and replace the water with vinegar, would you? Because you realize that that's going to rust it out. And long term, that's going to cause problems for your vehicle. Long term, hack and squirt on a big scale is going to cause problems on your timber lot. Um, especially with prescribed fire. It's just the cancer of snags or cancer on a fire line. And all you're doing is creating snags. And hindsight 2020, this is something you and I, thankfully, Chad, have avoided. And I can honestly yeah. say I don't know if we've ever used well, Have we ever used much hack and squirt on our, other than killing like I've, honey locusts and stuff? We girdled and sprayed some stuff. Yeah, and that's that's a majority of it. We've done a little bit with like Tree of Heaven, yeah. But we've, luckily, I haven't. But we've been burning before, probably as long as we've been cutting timber. That was one of the so, first things we did, so we knew that that was I, a no no. I mean, I'm close. I'm closing in on 15 years of the Forest Service now, and it's one of those that like I've done thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres of prescribed burning in places that we've had dead trees in there and. I mean, that's one of the first things you do in fire prep is everyone, you, if you're helping with fire prep, you, you go to the fire lines and you cut all the snags within within such a distance of the fire line because you don't want to fight them when it comes to prescribed burn day because you're dealing with enough already. The last thing you want to deal with is a bunch of dead trees along the line that are oh. throwing stuff across the line. Yeah, and trying to cut a tree down that's already burning is not fun. Yeah, because I've hindsight done a lot of that, both of those two. Hindsight 22, I've been there, done that, don't ever want to do it again. Um, man, you want to talk about burning up a chainsaw, burning up a... Burn, a, a, a <laughs> burning up a bar, embers down your neck, it's oh, not fun. It's the worst thing. Um, so, hindsight 2020, don't, <laughs> you're already going to have enough snags when you're doing prescribed fire. You don't need to make it any better. So, if you're using hack and squirt... Do it in understory thinnings. Do it on the interior fire units. And don't get carried away with it. Um, impactful management with little time. This is a big one. Um, you know, time is always limited, especially the older you get. They always say, when you're young, you have all the time in the world and no money. When you're old, you have all the t- you all have all the money but no time. Um, how many How many times do you find yourself... Going to your farms, running around, you're putting out scrape, whatever. Putting out, <laughs> you're putting out mock scrapes, you're putting out mineral, you're putting out feed, and you're like, oh, I'm trying to attract. You're, you're putting out attractants, but you're not doing anything that's changing the landscape and changing the deer travel patterns, changing their overall home areas or um, core areas. Well, you're so pretty matters, much just you're, you're trying to. On- you're going on September 20th when the weather conditions are horrible and going bow hunting because bow season's open. Yeah. It's just impactful management with little time. Um, so hindsight 2020, try to prioritize your, your management, prioritize your time, make sure that you're, and this kind of rolls into not, not playing into the year. So if, if you have time, what little time you do have to go to the farm to do this stuff, make sure that you're doing the stuff that actually makes a difference. Um, if you're if you're going to your farm and you're dilly dallying around, um, 
and then you're using up all your time to all your time and I say that vacation time or time away from your family and you're dilly dallying, you're not making a good investment on your time. And so um that's the hindsight twenty twenty <laughs> having that plan in place and knowing what you're gonna do because if you get down there and then figure out what to do, you're already wasting time. Yep. So um and that one kind of rolls with um burnout. And when I say burnout, I'm talking September 15th, you're all excited. January 15th, I'm just using Missouri regs, Missouri season dates. January 15th, you're like, I'm so sick of deer season, I need a break. And so you lock up the cabin or lock the gate and you don't go back for three months. You miss the best window to do habitat management, in my opinion. January, February, early March, it's like, it's actually cold, so you can work up a sweat and not be just covered in ticks and chiggers and you can actually get some work done at the same time you can do some if if you're in timber country and you're not running a chainsaw in january february march you're really missing out you're missing the boat you're missing one of the biggest things most important most beneficial things you can do on your farm and um so don't let burnout get you and burnout can also be don't burn up all your days away from your family to hunt mediocre days when you could be using those same days in January, February, March, cutting in micro clear cuts or bedding thickets or edge feathering, doing all this stuff to where you have a better chance at harvesting and filling your tags with limited with less days during hunting season because you've got deer actually living on your farm, moving during daylight, and are comfortable there because you have something the neighbors don't. Well, and, you know, I was just thinking along the lines of burnout, too. It's very easy, especially people that, and I figure some of your clients have dealt with this, where it's like you get this plan or you're just getting into habitat management. You are all in. I'm going to get everything done. I am going to, I mean, hit it just absolutely as hard as you can. Hit it running. You're knocking everything out you can. It's very, very easy to forget that habitat management is not a one-time deal. Yeah. You're, you're never going to go in, do everything you want to do one time, sit back in your, sit back in your tree stand up to your place and say, yep, it's good for, for the rest of my life. That's, that's not how habitat works. And mm-hmm. I think you see that a lot of times in a lot of our management practices is we're looking for that shortcut to get it to the point and then we don't have to ever touch it again yep when in reality habitat is ever changing it's it's always evolving i mean you look at we talk about early successional habitat it's the trees and plants and everything are always growing and changing you're there to adapt and to manage that through your whole lifetime it's It's... not a one-time deal so it's it's way better to sit back. You're going to get done what you can get done. Don't kill yourself trying to get it all done at one time. Take it easy <laughs> yeah. and don't burn yourself out. Yep. And that's why taking those pictures can help because you can look back and say, like, I'm making a big difference. 
I'm I'm helping myself. I, I, I can do this. And get some buddies. Get some yeah. get some people to help you. I think Oh, it's so much easier to run a chainsaw when you have a crew. I would much rather for you and I, we can both run a chainsaw pretty well. Um it's so we can knock out a lot of stuff, just you and I and then even Matt when he's helping us. So like for us on our family farm, two hundred some acres between you, me, Dad, Matt, we can cover everything. But like, if you're a one-man show, you own 400 acres. I would rather have two f- friends or family that are coming to run chainsaws with me and helping me do all this and letting them hunt, than trying to do it all by myself and not letting anybody else hunt. You're it's definitely just... not going to burn out as fast because generally. Most of the time in doing the habitat work, you have, I don't know, you have a lot more fun when in between chainsaw tanks you're talking and joking around and not just sitting there on your phone in between taking a break and then you go back to cutting again. That's right. That's right. Well, that pretty well wraps it up. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Hopefully you guys can learn from our mistakes because we made them <laughs> and we're trying to help you avoid them. Um, and we're trying to make you change your farm as quickly as possible with the least amount of dollars as possible. Um, and so I'm pretty confident we can do it for you. Um, especially in the consulting side, shoot us an email, land and legacy info at land and TV. We can help you. And also, uh, we are booking up January, February right now. Um, if we're not already booked up. Uh, with some other projects that we've got going. So, guys, uh, this is what we do. This We do this podcast for this very reason, to help educate you guys. Um, and hopefully we can take it from listening to helping you on your farm um, to where in two years you can say, whew, that was the best decision I ever made. I actually had a plan. I had a direction. And I was able to knock it all out and see, uh, and see the results. Um, and stop wasting time, man. You could take... You could take land management and say, most of the time we're wasting time or wasting money. And uh, (laughs) we're trying to stop that, hopefully. And so uh, we appreciate you guys listening. We hope you're excited for the fall. And and we hope you're excited for some of the upcoming podcasts and videos coming out. Check them out on Land and Legacy at YouTube. Anyway, Chad, thanks again. Anytime. Yep. Well, guys... um, Man, we just love hearing from you, too. So leave us a review on iTunes. We sure would appreciate it. Um, And then also uh, shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook. Talk to you then. (laughs) 